you guys doing? Guys, I got to tell you, I was impressed with the first service because I was thinking, is it going to be Messi or the Messiah? Amen. Was everyone going to stay home today? And so many people showed up, a messy one anyway. But if you have your Bibles, go over to Joel 2, and I will tell you, we are going to get into some stuff today. This is not really a teachy message. It's very preachy, so if you're trying to take notes, it might be difficult. They've given me a crazy and powerful passage of Scripture. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get, we'll get you on. But we're in Joel 2. And guys, where are we? We're on week four of Advent. And really what is posed to us today is, what did Jesus bring? What has took place the past four weeks as various people have preached? What did Jesus bring to the world? Because it's Christmas. And so we're talking about baby Jesus cooing away in a manger with some shepherds and magi, and it's all pretty. Is that who he is today? In fact, when we get to heaven, will we even see Jesus like that? Probably not unless one of the angels filmed it. Amen? Even Jesus as a carpenter. Will we see him that way? Is that how he is today? Even as a rabbi walking the shores of Galilee, is that who Jesus is in heaven? And you're saying, Brian, is all of that significant? Of course it is. It's the gospel. But what is the goal of the gospel? What does John 3.16 tell us? That God so loved the what? The world. The whole goal of the Bible is that God loves people. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. It's all about people. It's all about redemption. It's all about saving them. So you could argue that today, this is almost the most important thing we get into. This is the most important thing about Christmas because what we're talking about is the presence of God. We're talking about the presence of God in your life. See, as Christians, we talk about a cross. We talk about the blow, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about the story of the Bible, but those things in and of themselves aren't the end goal. What is the end goal or who is the end goal? God. The cross is needed so we can walk with God again. The blood is needed, the resurrection. All these things are needed so we can walk with God. And so the verse I've been given today is, when is God's spirit arriving? When is God's presence going to walk with his people? When has God prophetically said, this is when I will walk amidst my people? And so if you have your Bibles, Joel 2, very clear passage of Scripture. Something many of you have heard. This is what the prophet says hundreds of years before Jesus. We don't know much about this man, but don't hear it as a man. Hear it as God speaking. He says in Joel 2.28, I will pour out my spirit on all people. God is claiming, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on those who follow him. This word spirit is this Hebrew word ruach, and what it means is, I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my presence. I will pour out what animates all of us. Scientists today say we have no idea how this is all held together. Spinning around, all that they tell us, all that we hear, Neil deGrasse Tyson, all the rest of them. They have no idea how it is all held together. The Bible tells us it's the Spirit, it's the Ruach of God. God says, I'm going to pour this out on all people, but then he jumps headlong into some radical statements. He says, your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. They'll proclaim the truth. The manifest presence will be around in these days, he says. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. On my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit. 
in those days. We read these verses, and is it another passage of Scripture that some guy is preaching in church? Well, not to the Hebrews. They would have heard this over and over. They would have heard prophecies for hundreds of years. There's coming a day when the Messiah will show up. There's coming a day when the Spirit of God will show up, when He will walk with people, when He will demonstrate His power. Well, it's been hundreds of years. When did that take place? Do we know when this took place, when God's Spirit was literally with everyone? If you were here last week, you heard Katie in worship speaking out of Matthew 3.11 about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. A simple verse we always read at Christmas, but don't miss what it says. John the Baptist, rugged and smelly, out there eating locusts in the wilderness, in the park. What did he tell us? He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes another. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. John, why are you coming? What are you telling us? Why are you making straight the way? He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Of all that we read about John, of all that we hear about Jesus, why? Because he will baptize you. Fast forward a few weeks to Pastor Andrew. Sharing on Nicodemus, a religious leader, coming to Jesus by night, out the way of everyone else, saying, I see who you are. What does Jesus say in John 3, 5, and 6? He tells the religious leader, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. No one can enter, no one can see, no one can understand unless there is repentance and there is a birth in the spirit. Either you are in here, born of the spirit, or you are in here without it. And you're just attending with some friends. Nicodemus doesn't understand Jesus. What do you mean? And Jesus tells to him, a religious leader in Israel, you don't understand this. What does he say in verse 6? Flesh gives birth to what? Flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Everything you experience in this world is the flesh. Even the workings of the enemy. Even the demonic. Even the fallen. It is all a work of the flesh in a sense. None of it has true life in it. But we're told of this prophecy where this coming Savior will give the Spirit. And why is this important? Because if we take the Bible chronologically, God's Spirit wasn't on all believers. If you summarize the Old Testament, God's Spirit was only on certain people at certain times. The Spirit of God was on the prophet or the priest or the king or you know what? Maybe you were anointed with oil for a specific reason. But how close did you get to get to God? Not very close. Every year because of our sin, here comes the priest. and He's going to shed that animal on the altar. And he goes behind the veil. And he goes into the Holy of Holies with a rope around his ankle because the presence of God will show up. And he might drop dead because of our sinfulness. That's as close as you got to God through some man who was the mediator. Is that what it's like for you today? Is that what it's like for all of us today? Yes or no? No. Because who is our mediator? You can preach with me. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the one. When he was on the cross, heaven and earth shook. There was an earthquake. And what happened in the temple? The veil was torn. Preach it. Amen. From top to bottom. It was torn to let you and me know in 2022, preaching on Advent, that we now have access with God. Through Jesus, through the blood, through the cross, God so loved the world, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Why? Because John the Baptist made straight the way, because one was coming who would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You cannot see these things unless you were born again and you follow me. 
Don't try to take notes. We're going pretty fast. Amen? I'm saying this because when you look at this, what does it mean for you to walk with God then? What does it look like in your life if I say, oh, do you walk with God? Do you have a picture of him up there? And God, look at all that's going on. And this person is or isn't in office, or this is happening with money, or all these things are happening, and God, where are you? Or maybe it's Jesus, and you have the cross, and we have him in our heart, and we know that Jesus is good. What does it mean that God walked with you in here and all the craziness you're going through, all the things that you feel, all the struggles that we all face? What does it mean? Well, Jesus is the one who tells us of the kingdom. And so I want to ask Jesus, Jesus, what does it mean for this person, this promise to be in our lives? And what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 28? What does Jesus tell us after for three and a half years, he showed them how to follow him? Raising the dead, signs and wonders, empathy, compassion, love. Everything that we need to be doing in life, Jesus did it. He's our example. And what does he say in Matthew 28? He says in verse 19, this is all of us. If you want to know what the call of God is, this is it. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he tells us to teach them. What does he say at the end of this? Surely I am with you always, even till the what? end of the... But what does Jesus do next? Anyone know? He shows up with them after he's died and resurrected. I can't believe it. Here he is, marks all over his body for you and me. Thank you, Lord. I will be with you. And the next thing he does is he what? He leaves. Guys, I'm going to come preach the sermon. See you later. Jesus literally says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So how is he with us? Is he not with us then today? Or is he telling us of someone? What does he say in John 16, 7? Truly I tell you, them, Brian, you, listen. It is for your good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It sounds so good in church, amen? He's sending this helper, Lord, help me. But what about a few weeks ago when I'm sitting next to someone in hospital who was passing away and you're praying with them? I feel like it would be way better rather than me just reading and praying if Jesus was physically standing next to me, amen? Or you know when you're telling your kids how you're always right because you're a pastor, if he, Jesus would just stand next to you and say, listen to your dad, amen? <laughs> or when you're getting into it with your spouse, don't look around right now. And he could be like, you know, your husband or the wife, amen, is right? Or if even today Jesus, Jesus was in here and we said, where are you going after this? I'm going downtown to preach. How many of us would go? If he said, I'm going to rapture us to Afghanistan, we're going to go into a tribe where they're going to cut all our heads off. How many of you want to follow me? All of us would go. Yet Jesus just said to me, to you, right now today, right now in the midst of your life, it's better that I go away and send another really I don't need you in person, no, because wherever Jesus is, that is only where he can be. But he said to the church, to us, this promise is to every one of us, meaning I hope you realize just as much as Jesus is sitting next to you, dwelling inside of you, this person he is speaking of is in our midst today. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? He's the only in certain kinds of churches with dimmer lights and big carpets, and I love all of those expressions, Amen. Who is the Holy Spirit in your life? And you're saying, Brian, you're talking a lot about the Holy Spirit like he's a person. You're talking about him a lot like he is a he, do you think? Is he a he? Is he a person? The Bible tells us that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the 
Holy Spirit. You can't lie to an object. The book of Ephesians says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can only grieve a person. In fact, what is the unforgivable sin to blaspheme the? To reject the gospel, to reject the Holy Spirit's conviction. That's it. The Holy Spirit is a person, but I can think about God, think about Jesus, and I can miss that the Holy Spirit is right here in our midst. And so here comes Jesus, John told us. We're familiar with the prophecies of Joel. Jesus, what does this look like? Luke 24, 49, he tells them, this is the promise. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, there it is, upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with what? Power from on high. Guys, I've walked amidst you. I'm your rabbi. I've raised you up, but I want you to go and wait because I'm about to send someone who is going to bring power. Do not miss this. It would be easy to walk away from service and go, well, I guess the Holy Spirit's in my life. Why would Jesus be sending power? Why would Jesus be sending power? He'd be sending power because they need power. He's sending power because you need power, because I need power. Amen? Getting up at 5 o'clock today, getting chased all around the kitchen by my cats, this thing collapsing this morning. I need more than just coffee and donuts. I need the power of God. Amen? Amen. We know this. But I'm saying this to make you realize, he told him in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Listen to this. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He sent them out in twos prior. He sent them out as a 70, but he didn't send them out until they were filled with power to go and be his witnesses. This is us. To be witnesses to Costa Mesa, to be witnesses to Newport, to be witnesses to wherever you are. A lady was here this morning in New York. Go be a witness. Go to my hometown of Liverpool. And so, Jesus, you told them this. When did it happen? Acts 2. They're gathered together like us in a room. And they're praying and they don't know what's going to happen yet. They just know that Jesus has told them to wait. And here it is, Acts 2.2. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind arrived from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And of them they were filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. He shows up 50 days after Jesus' death on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast, and they all begin to speak in other language. God is telling them this is a sign against Israel that I'm going to pour out my Spirit on the Gentiles as well. But he begins to have them speak in other languages and the men out of the window Many of them hear in a cut to the heart, and they ask, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent. That's the gospel, amen? Believe. But many others heard them and said, it sounds like they're drunk. It's only this time in the afternoon, but they're drunk. But what does Peter say? Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, who had fled, now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with what? Power, amen. Now he goes and tells them what this is. Acts 2, 16. No, We're not drunk, he's saying. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your men shall see visions. Your old men dream dreams. There it is. That in the last days, I will pour out the spirit. You will be empowered. I will manifest this presence. And we should be asking the question then, is this still happening today? 
Is this still happening today? Joel, why did you tell us the voice of God in the last days this would happen? Peter, why did you tell them in the last days, guys? When are the last days? Now. Amen. The end times is when it all goes down, but the last days are from when Jesus arrived to when Jesus returns. We can focus so much on the spiritual part that we missed that he said all of these things would happen. So why is this important? Because you could be sitting here saying, well, do I have the Holy Spirit? Is there multiple baptisms? How do we see this? And I'll tell you, it is really important when you read the book of Acts to understand what time it is. Is he speaking to Jews? Is he speaking to Gentiles? Is it John's baptism? Is it baptized into Jesus? Is it the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because it all happens in different ways in the book of Acts. But what does it mean for us today? This is what it means. It means if you are in here and you believe that Jesus is Lord, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you know that Jesus is Lord, you didn't decide that. The Holy Spirit convicted and opened your heart. Amen. If you don't believe that, it's because you're not born again. The Bible is clear. 2004, coming to faith in the office that was in my room, now my son's room, changed my life. Radical. Do you remember the moment you were born again? Amen. That was the moment you encountered, amen, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just that you read. It wasn't just that you had a Bible with your name on. This promise of Joel, of the Spirit of God, how do we know this? Ephesians 1.13. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with Him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Wherever your life is, If you know that you know that Jesus is Lord, you have been marked because he who began a good work is faithful to finish it. Amen? He is the author and finisher of your faith. If you haven't been to church in many years and you struggled in here with all kinds of chaos, do you feel his love, his grace, and mercy? That's the Holy Spirit. Rejoice. Are you on top of the mountain now and you're dancing around with God and you got it all together having a great season? Rejoice. But the point is when you read these verses, look at 2 Corinthians 1.21. He, the Holy Spirit, has anointed us and set His seal of ownership on us, telling us here He has put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. So when you think of Christmas, when we think of the nativity, when we watch my favorite Christmas movie, you know, Gremlins, amen? (laughs) Home Alone. And you see baby Jesus, or even well, Will Ferrell is mocking, making fun of baby Jesus. In all of that, be reminded that this was all so you could be washed in the blood, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But listen, the sermon doesn't end there. We could finish this and say, isn't God good? Rejoice and we leave. But I want to challenge us. This is where it all begins. I came to faith again, August 2004. Why didn't God just rapture me out of here like he did with Enoch or Elijah? Amen. Life's been pretty crazy. I mean, take the church out 2019. Anyone would have complained about that? No. But we are left here for a reason. We read about Joel saying someone is coming. We heard from John that Jesus will baptize in the Holy Spirit. We've heard from Jesus, you must be born again. And we've even heard now that while they were waiting in a room, the power of God is upon them to be what? My witnesses. That can be translated martyr. That's what can take place. But what did he just say in this verse? He said something we can miss. He said, God has anointed, anointed us. Do you know you're anointed by God himself? This is what he says in 1 John 2.20, you have been anointed. 
In the Old Testament, I alluded to it, the prophet, priest, and kings anoint them with oil, meaning you were set apart. The Levitical priesthood, tribe of Aaron, what are they doing? Set apart, anointed with oil. Are there priests today? Are there any priests in this room? Bible says you are a chosen what? Generation, a royal. You have been anointed by God to intercede for people and to go and to do the ministry. The same way they are anointed with oil, they didn't have the presence of God in the same way. We have now been filled and empowered with the Spirit to live out this call. This anointing is what changes our lives. This anointing is the Spirit of God, and we can accomplish all that He's called us to do. Do you know that every single day you can do exactly what God has called you to do? What the enemy wants you to do is be distracted by all that you want to do. If I seek my kingdom, if I give birth to it, that's what I've got to feed and I can be distracted by. But what I'm called to do, a couple days of study and sitting up here preaching with you, the Spirit of God is upon me, I'm going to be able to fulfill my purpose. But I'm out chasing this or that, it could fail. Meaning, as I've said many times, we are invincible until God takes us. The Spirit of God is upon us. He has anointed us. And why is this radical? And some of you might wrestle with this. The very same way I am anointed, you are anointed, every person that can hear this, if you are a Christian is anointed, is exactly how Jesus is anointed. Do you realize Jesus could have done his ministry anyway? He didn't really need to get baptized, did he? He didn't really need to be filled with the Spirit. God could have set this up. However, he says all the time, I could call down legions of angels. I could have done this. I could have done that. How many miracles did Jesus do before he was baptized? His ministry began when he was anointed with the Spirit of God. His ministry began, and you can read all these Gnostic books and all these long-winded people on TV saying Jesus was here and Jesus was in England. William Blake, you were wrong, and I love that song, Jerusalem. Amen? It's a great poem. But Jesus' ministry began the same way our ministry begins when you were anointed by the Spirit of God. He's walking through the Jordan. His cousin John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Spirit descends in the form of a dove. He's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, overcoming him, telling him it is written, get in the word. And what is the next thing he says? He goes into the synagogue in Luke 4, and he opens the Isaiah scroll, and he tells them this, Luke 4, 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why, Jesus? Why is the Spirit of the Lord upon you? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he lists his ministry. He chose to demonstrate for us baptism and the Spirit of God, and everything that Jesus did was through the Holy Spirit's power. Am I going too far? Acts 1.1. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Everything he did, the same spirit within us was in him. So let me ask us today, doing a little bit of homework, how many of us, myself included, are still trying to do this all in our own power? Can't be just me. Come on, you guys, you had coffee and donuts. How, I mean, even just an uncle who's got a sore shoulder is lifting his arm over there, amen? How many of us are trying to do it in our own power? God, I need to forgive this person. No, you don't need the spirit's power. Lord, I know I want to go tell this person, but what if, what if, what if? No, 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 you need the Holy Spirit's power. Why? He's called the comforter for a reason. He's called the helper for a reason. He's called the advocate for a reason. 
And the bigger picture again is if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which you do, everything you are called to accomplish, it is God in us and through us who's going to be at work in this. Is this making sense to you guys? But here's the practical, amen, is that now that we understand this, what does it mean if you did walk in here and life is falling apart? What does it mean as we leave and here's Christmas and you might be around these people or those people or all the things you've wrestle with. How do we live this? Three simple things. The first thing about the Holy Spirit as we live out this call empowered with the dunamis dynamite power is the Holy Spirit will bear fruit in your life. In Galatians, Paul writes to that church and he tells them not to gratify the flesh, but to be led by the Spirit. You see, you're always making one or two decisions. You're gratifying the flesh or you're being led by the Spirit. What am I looking at? What am I listening to? What am I putting my hands to? What am I doing that's gratifying the flesh? Some of you are saying, I have all these addictions and issues. You're gratifying the flesh. Take your focus off that and put it on the spirit and life will look different. Which dog are you feeding? What am I giving voice to more? What am I listening to? Culture, this, all these things. Hey, enjoy many of these things. But Paul says, and I'll tell you, if you are overcoming things, I get program after program after program, Paul says, Don't gratify the flesh. Don't make room for it. I know my weaknesses. Why am I making room for it? Instead, be filled and led and walk with the Spirit. And if you do, what happens when you sow a seed, when you plant a seed? I got televangelistic right there. What happens when you plant a seed? The seed is watered and the seed begins to grow and it bears what? Fruit. And the fruit ripens and the fruit grows. And I know on some days you could call me, I could call you, and the fruit's a bit soggy and there's maggots, and I shouldn't have said this or thought that. You're human, amen? But as you press in, as you grow in your marriage, with your kids, in your life, and whatever it is, here's what Paul says the fruit look like, Galatians 5.22. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that will be at work in us. And I'll tell you, being a 43-year-old man, wherever you are, you always need to be humble because we think we have too much figured out. And we always need to be depending on the Holy Spirit to show us in humility what's next, even when you miss it. Amen? You are not perfect. You didn't work your way to salvation. He did it all. But as the believer, we should begin to see this fruit. Could you love your spouse before you were a Christian? Well, sure unconditionally if she kept all my conditions. Amen? That's how we look at things. Could you love those people? Well, if they do everything exactly like I do, and they like this, and they love this, and they wear that, and they go here and just, I can love all these people. Is that love? Did we really have peace? Did we really have joy before we were believers? I remember not being able to sleep, reckless nights, punching holes in things, over it, not wanting to live. I remember what that's like. I know what is in me, but the fruit of the Spirit could help me grow. Second thing, And if you wrestle with all that stuff, press into him. Guys, this book is alive, amen? But if you don't read it, what's the difference? If you don't feed yourself with this, what is the difference? In China, they are begging for one chapter of this book. Nations, they are begging for parchments that all of you could go into. Just what we know from hearing preaching and teach for hours and transform their lives. Second thing, though, is he comforts us. Some of you did walk in here with some chaos, with some craziness. I know the time of year. I know with families, I know with my family, personally, things we've gone through, a lot of people struggling, and I'll tell you, 
The church is here to love on you, connect with you, eat with you, gather, pray, whatever. But who can only truly satisfy you in the season? It's the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can truly comfort and truly bring the peace that surpasses all understanding. If we could understand it, we could figure it out. It's only the Holy Spirit who can do this. And I want to, even as you think about this, just consider this message is kind of sounding very selfish right now. It's about you and me and the Holy Spirit, and it's good. But if we back up for a moment and say, what is the context? John the Baptist has head cut off. Jesus has been killed. He's just told his believers, go into the world, and I'm going to empower you to go and be my witnesses. The word can be translated martyred. The kind of comfort they need is because for 300 years, they will be ripped to shreds. The kind of comfort they need is because Paul and Silas are locked up, and while they are, they're worshiping God. The kind of empowerment they need is because when Stephen is being killed with rocks, while the apostle Paul is holding their coats, they're filled with comfort and looking to heaven. We all have our battles, amen? But their battles are because they have gone to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Our battles as we continue taking it to the rest of the world. The book of Acts isn't closed. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, through the church. Amen. He comforts us. Is that radical or is that Christianity? There's more people martyred today than ever in history because the gospel is going more places. And I think we have it pretty good in Orange County. Amen. We have our battles. Your heart still hurts. God still cares. Your testimony to what you might be going through, it does matter to share with someone because of the Holy Spirit. Third thing, a little bit controversial. You can't tackle this prophecy of Joel about the Spirit without talking about the manifest presence of God. The third thing is the Holy Spirit was given so that while we are on mission, He manifests His presence. There's three ways the, the Holy Spirit is presented in the New Testament. There's three avenues to understand Him. And the first way, the Greek preposition, is para. Like paramilitary, paramedic, paratrooper, someone who comes alongside of you. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of you. As I'm up here preaching, want to sing all the things that are probably really in my brain, amen? The Holy Spirit is helping me stay focused on the message, amen? <laughs> Second thing, August 2004, when He saved me and was the deposit, He is in me. He is in, inside of us. But the third thing that people don't know how to wrestle with because it can be challenging is He also is upon you. That's when he moves and manifests. The book of Acts, when it says you will receive power, when he is upon you, he showed up in the room, they spoke in tongues, all kinds of miracles. Every time people were filled, we see things happen. This is the manifest presence. And we already said, is this for today, yes or no? In the last days. Joel said in those days, did God stop doing a lot of these things? Even Jesus, Luke 4, 17, when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But sadly... When you go towards the Holy Spirit, the expression can become prideful or that only mature people can do this and operate in this. And unless this happens or that happens, what if you came in here today so eager for the Spirit to do this and that and God said, I need you to sit still and just listen to the Word of God and be gentle. What when Elijah was waiting for the earthquakes and the fire, instead God stood up in what? The still small voice. We're not God. Lean not on your own understanding I look at the Holy Spirit like a car. Praise God you all made it here today because you drove that car safely. Amen? 
But if you put a bandana on, closed your eyes, drove all over the road, there'd be casualties everywhere. That is how many people aim to operate in the Spirit. As long as something is happening, he's doing something because you can't tell me otherwise because he's the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 12, and I didn't know I'd be unpacking all this Advent towards Christmas, amen? But this is powerful. We need to hear this. Paul's writing to a church who is out of control, and look at what he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. He says, concerning the spiritual gifts, this is what Joel spoke about, this is what John and Jesus all have talked about, Acts 1.8, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to misunderstand because they were going crazy with all kinds of things in that church. In fact, the only thing they had right was they were supporting missionaries. Amen? What does he say to them? He says this in verse 4. There are different kinds of spirits, of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Notice how he puts these together. In verse 4, it's about the spirit. Different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, it's about Jesus. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Because the Lord came as the suffering servant. I didn't come to be saved, but to serve. And look at the third part of the Trinity we see here. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The Spirit gives the gifts, the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus Christ is who showed us how to serve, and God is the one who we see overseeing. And look at verse 7, this pertains to you. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you are a believer, you have been given a gift by God to use for the kingdom. I can't play worship. That is their gift. I'm called today to preach. Some of you have practical gifts, the gifts of helps or administration, the gift of faith. Some of you have prophetic gifts. But if we live as the body stepping into these things, that's how the ministry of Jesus moves. Amen? But here he begins to lift some, lift some of the gifts. And some of you are saying, I hope he talks about them. Well, amen, Merry Christmas, I will. <laughs> he says, and we'll see this here in verse 8. To one is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. What does it mean to have wisdom? Solomon had all the wisdom in the world but didn't really use it. Was obsessed with the wrong things. Pretty much went crazy. What do we see here though? There's a message of wisdom. This is wisdom not gained by study or experience. Where do we see this? Loads of places in the Old Testament. The Spirit was at work. We see it in Joseph. Joseph with these dreams. Joseph with these interpretations. Joseph who's discarded by his family and Potiphar's wife. And Joseph is able to have wisdom about what to do. Whatever way you look at it, God told him this. This is how you should run the famine. This is how you should do this. This is what we see. Another, a message of knowledge. Something that you cannot know. We already know that Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. So when he's at the well with the woman, he knows she has five husbands. He knows of Philip the Evangelist. He knows what was in their heart. Guys, these are practical ministries that I could apply to areas of my life. We had a great discussion in the men's ministry. Years ago, I came out of a certain ministry and I was praying, That day, Lord, do you want me to do more marriage ministry? God reconciled our marriage. People are calling me. I'm sitting with them. Do you want me to focus on marriage ministry? I went that night having said, Lord, speak to me. Let me know. I go to this friend's tattoo shop on Harbor, Death to Life. Many of you have seen it right there by the Target. My buddy Chris, go on and see him, man of God. And as I'm sitting in there with him and a man I've never met, he says, I need to pray for you. And the guy starts praying. He's from Norway. He's praying in Norwegian. 
And he says, the Lord wants you to know that your marriage and the things you have faced and walked through, he's going to use as building blocks to build a bridge for other couples. Okay, Lord, I'm listening. The other guy starts praying and says, you are meant to do marriage ministry. Okay. I went home, wrote a marriage book. Amen. <laughs> Listen to me, guys. Listen, this is subjective to you. Do you even know how this church is here? Ask Pastor Andrew. Ask Pastor Andrew. Rock Harbor was planning a church in Huntington. They didn't know who the pastor was. I don't even know if Andrew, Andrew could shave back then. He definitely didn't look like Hugh Jackman. Amen? They were praying, and Todd Proctor woke up and said, God told me Andrew's the pastor. Andrew thought he was meeting with him to be let go. He said, you're the pastor of the church. Where did that revelation come from? Andrew prayed, Brock prayed, much of the team here prayed, and I says, okay, it's affirmed, and look where we are today. I could tell you of so many situations, so many circumstances like that, having seen these things over and over. The Bible says the Spirit will manifest in acts of faith. When Jesus is walking and the fig tree is there beside the road, and Jesus speaks to it, it's crazy, it doesn't fall apart that day. But a few days later when they come by and they point out what has happened, Jesus says, have faith in God. Do you have real faith in what God has called you to? And he's talking about speaking to the mountain and believing it. Amen? Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. He's talking about faith. He even goes on, he says, gifts of healing. Guys, should we be praying for healing today, yes or no? James 5 says, have the elders lay on hands and the sick will be healed. Everyone will always be healed because if that was the case, Lazarus would still be alive today. The only thing that trumps healing is that as a point of man to die once and then judgment. You have to go at some time. Enoch and Elijah are still alive because they were raptured into heaven, a Jew and a Gentile. But for everyone else, I will have to go at some time. But we should pray for healing. I look at healing like when they're there in the fiery furnace and they've told that leader... Our God is able to deliver us, but if He doesn't. I want the kind of faith that if my last breath had to be even today, I have the faith, Lord, you are good and faithful, amen. He goes on and says, the working of miracles to another prophecy. Guys, when people in the Old Testament were prophets, are you guys following me with this? When guys in the Old Testament, when the word was given, they were according the Scriptures. But so how does prophecy operate today? Back in the day, if you gave prophecy and it was off, you were killed with stones. And I don't affirm today that you try to prophesy and, prophesy and do this and do that and grow feet and all the rest of it. No, but I want to live by the word of God. And if God says in those days, in the last days, you will see this. Listen to what Paul says in First Thessalonians, God bless you, First Thessalonians 5.19. He says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. When Todd said to do that, the prophecy is holding up. Amen? You say, well, Brian, isn't every time there's a prophecy, the word of God, and it will always remain? Think about this in Acts 21. Philip the evangelist has four daughters, and the Bible says they prophesied. So did they or not? Do any of us know what those prophecies are to this day? No, because they were a specific people. The Bible doesn't tell you where to live. The Bible doesn't tell you where to plant a church. The Bible doesn't tell you what to do with your life. You can be praying with a friend who says, I feel like the Lord is showing me this. I am not for these ministries that do all this stuff for all anyone ever does is roll around on the floor and say things till someone gets it right. No. 
But I really believe that when our elders, when our leadership goes away and prays, that the Lord lays things on their heart. I believe that each time we go into a series, I am trusting, I am meant to preach this today, because I know for leadership, they've prayed and they believe that the Lord has said this. Amen? We see this in Scripture. To another, the distinguishing of spirit. To another, various kind of tongues. Do we want to unpack this? What do we see in Acts 2? It's languages. They can hear it. But think about the verse that says, he who speaks in a tongue speaks only to God, not to man, because no one can understand them. Meaning there's a kind of tongue that you could speak that if everyone could interpret every language, they wouldn't understand it. I old church I was in moved in this in a lot. I remember being in a service where a very known singer, her parents, she's like one of the top five singers known in the world, her parents were ministering. I was a new Christian a few years. I hadn't left the country. I'd been on probation for skating and all kinds of trouble. I was afraid to leave the nation. I'd become a believer. And while I'm in that church, her dad starts speaking in tongues in the service. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, everyone better be quiet. And the mom gets off the chair, walks over, interprets what the dad says and tells me, Brian, you're going to go to this country. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I traveled the world as a skateboarder for 15 years I went to all these countries. There was three countries I wanted to go to that I never went to. The name of the country, she said, went home that night. Okay, Lord, if it's you, a phone call from a church in that country. Hey, I don't know why. This is on the youth pastor's heart. Will you come and preach at our church? I'd never left the country. Why am I saying this? Because when someone says something or speaks into your life, we're to test it and challenge it. Amen. It's scripture. He goes on and he says in verse 11, and these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes to each one as he determines. Who determines what your gifting is? The Holy Spirit. I would love to be able to sing at times, amen? Love to be able to jam up here. Things I would love to, God made me a certain way. God made me as an evangelist. So if I get under your skin sometimes, think of Elijah and John the Baptist, amen? If all the sermons are about going and proclaiming, that's the way God made me. But I want to know, how has God made you? What is your gifting? How do you operate? What is the Spirit doing in you? And so my goal isn't to unpack all these verses. But Pastor Andrew preached for two hours on the gift. We'll put that link under this online. We can go deeper. But here's the thing. If we're going to talk about the prophet Joel and the Spirit's arrival, we can't leave out all these things. And if God has said in the Old Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you, and Jesus says he is with us even till the end, what does that mean for you personally? When you leave today in the car, do you believe the Holy Spirit is with you to bear fruit, to bring comfort, to even manifest his presence? As you live out your life at Christmas, as you live out your life at branches, are we gratifying the things of the flesh that are distracting, or are we walking in the Spirit? I started by saying one of the most ignored people in the church is the Holy Spirit. But one of the things I heard a long time ago that stuck with me is, we're not waiting on the Holy Spirit today. He's waiting on us. He arrived 2,000 years ago. He has things for you to do. You are His workmanship. He has things we are to walk in. And I want to finish on this crazy verse with a couple of points, and then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, listen to this. Again, you can see the Trinity. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus. Why does he put grace with Jesus? Because he's the one who died in our place. He says, and the love of God, because God so loved the world. And what does he say next? And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
The fellowship, the communion, the walking with, the joint participation, really? I can hear about the grace of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Christmas celebrates that many times. I can hear about the love of God, but what is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Ten weeks we gathered with many of the men, 60 or so men down to 30 or 20, all the time on a Thursday. That was fellowship. I fellowship with people this morning. I'll fellowship with you afterwards. Am I really meant to fellowship with him? Am I meant to withdraw with this person, this promise? Because it kind of sounds like a big deal. If we say the world is eager to hide the gospel, then is it not true that we could also sadly be missing the person of the Holy Spirit? All the questions you have answers to, the Holy Spirit will let you know the ones that you need to hear about. Amen? What would it look like for you if your life is upside down to leave in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? What would it look like with your business or your marriage or your future to say, Lord, lead me in all of these areas? I get the messages on my pages. I get the messages online. Put money here. Go here. Do this. Do that. How many things am I looking for rather than, wait a minute, Lord, what have you told me to do? In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit tells certain people, the Apostle Paul, not to go somewhere, but to go somewhere else later. Can you imagine hearing him this way? And so the reality and summary is, we have been given the Holy Spirit. He overflows in us. Start Acts 1 tonight and you will see they believe, they're filled, and it constantly is poured out the boldness, the boldness, the boldness. But a couple of thoughts for you. First thing, and we'll begin to worship in a moment. Do you make time for the Holy Spirit? Sitting and praying, saying, Lord, lead my life. Do you make time saying, my business, my marriage, my kids, my whatever, Lord, let it line up with the Great Commission, first thing. Second thing is when we open up the Word, are we just doing a chore? I'm going to read through this, I got it done, and I'm off to do whatever, or am I saying, Lord, show me in this verse what I am missing, what needs to be illuminated in my heart, because the Holy Spirit is who gave us the Word of God. Third thing is do we need to lean into his leading more? Lord, that seed is inside of me, but I have this character trait or the flesh or whatever. I need to see more of the Spirit and his fruit in me. Fourth thing is, Lord, how do I fit into the body? If I went to Africa with you, what is your gifting? If you planted a church, how does God use you? How does God use you in whatever area it is? Fifth thing, do you need to say, Lord, I just need comfort. I don't even want to think about any of this, but all I heard today is comfort. I need to sit with you. And likewise, do you even need to be convicted at times? Are the things you just say, Lord, are the things I need to repent of? Because John 16, 8 says, when the Holy Spirit arrives, he will convict the world of sin. Whatever way you look at this today, any of this could apply to any of us. Could I be looking forward to next year saying, Lord, show me how to bear more fruit? Could I be saying, what is my gifting? How have you made me to fit in the body? Because the Bible says, your gift will make room for you. You want to know who you are in Christ? Begin to serve in that area, and he'll open the doors you're called to step into. But it starts by being led by the Spirit. Joel said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. And Romans 8.14, I love it. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Maybe you're distant. Maybe you don't open. Maybe life is just suffocated. You're not saying, wow, the Spirit of God? I'd love to see Jesus on that cross. How radical. I'd be in tears falling before him. But, but the Spirit of God is present today because of that move. In your life, what would that look like? Let's bow our heads for a moment. And you've heard enough of me. 
But what about the Holy Spirit? What if you were to sit there and say, Lord, I'm going to be quiet for a moment and ask Him to speak? He might impress something. He might bring something to mind. He could do whatever He wants to do. He could reveal to you things that you know that you never knew before. He could lay a place on your heart. We don't know, but as a church, we want to always make room for the Holy Spirit. There's going to be people around the room in a moment where if you need prayer for hardships, things you're going through, we'll pray for you. If you have something you want to share with someone, feel free. We just want to make a place to say, Lord, as we worship, let it be honoring you, God, thanking you, Jesus, for the sacrifice, but walking in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God, we just pray for this time, that this room, these instruments, all of this, us, we were all created for you. But as we sit here today, Holy Spirit, would you lead us? God, if there's people here who are far from you, they would hear of this good news, this this beautiful message. And even today, you could convict and say, are you born again? Have you repented of sin? Have you put your faith? You could pray aloud to God. You could call out to him in your spirit saying, Lord, save me and forgive me, redeem me. You could even go to someone on the side of the room. Lord, we just want to take a moment right now to let you speak and minister to us, your children. As we praise and worship you, in Jesus' name we say, amen.